240, entitled Eight Days a Week, and it's a riff on the Beatles single I just played you, Eight Days a Week, because Lennon and McCartney there are uh, in this tremendously boyish and infectious sense of joy, saying that my love for you is such that 100% of my entire life's... uh, dynamic is not enough to show it. I I need eight days a week. I need 115% uh, of myself. So completely and totally motivated I am by my romantic love of you. They're singing. And the purpose of this uh, podcast is to try to explain to you why it is that I make such a point in these casts of the power and the effulgence and the um, the slight wariness before the um, engagement of acute romantic love, which is as acute as any feelings uh, ever are in uh, this world. And I run into it again and again when people are kind of undone or surprised by the depth at which these feelings, feelings of romantic love, can surface. I mean, we see it in young people all the time, right? I mean, you, you've seen it in your daughter, and you've seen it in your son. You've seen it in uh, you see it on the internet 24-7. You see it in great works of literature, and you see it in romantic novels and nursing romance novels, which I love, H.T. to Sarah and Drake. You um, see these things um, 
this powerful urge to merge and connect with another person, a man with a woman and a woman with a man, that is overwhelmingly uh, powerful. And you see it later in life when, I mean, gosh, someone I know in Washington, I mean, recently, uh, a father of... uh, uh, of three children and apparently happily married and a woman also with a child and apparently happily married just destroy everything just blow it all up a hundred percent in order to be together so something has caused uh, something about the union of the these two people who are uh, in, an, in an extramarital relationship is more important to them or feels more important than than uh, uh, other profound commitments and children it's that important so so obviously that is not uh, happens every day and then it happens with older people i mean i see it in you know people i know who do the most remarkable and often earth-shattering troubling things in late life revolving men and women revolving that part of their lives that are puzzling and at times deeply upsetting almost almost catastrophically upsetting to their grown children out of some desire to have something that they haven't had or some desire to have a relationship the nature of which they've missed and they're willing to to sacrifice everything it appears now you may say that's not me well a don't say it yet and b watch others if it's not you okay uh, but look at look at your parents look at other people you know look at people who you know who, who you know on their own honeymoon uh, uh, got a phone call from uh, their parents telling them uh, that one of them that, that that they the parents were getting a divorce but they wanted to wait till after the marriage thank you very much and so you receive the call uh, you know on a on a train platform somewhere on your honeymoon and uh, this kind of thing devastates people and shocks people and surprises them but it is a truth that we do very well not to hide similarly with suicide we do uh, we are covering that over that is a national that is a national uh, mental health issue at the most strenuous level of a clamor, and yet it is not getting remotely the attention it deserves. Finally, we're looking at drug, uh, drug addiction now in a way that we haven't prior. But um, this uh, suicide epidemic is unbelievable. And if you don't think so, you're not, you're not watching. You're, 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 you haven't even watched your own children or your own family, your own parents or your friends' parents. You're not watching. And this this means something is happening. And with romantic love, you learn it, whether from the closing words of James K. Polk, the greatest uh, closing words I know of any presidential, because they weren't accidental. They reflected President Polk's true feelings about life. I... I, I uh, I often look at acute historic figures even today like President Obama and I wonder, you know, will their, what will their, uh, their last words be? They'll probably be words to and about Michelle. Um, they probably won't have anything to do with legacy or with great idealistic causes or ideological co-celebra, uh, uh, but uh, th- we are dealing with a backstory that we do not talk about. And the point of the podcast is to get you to think about the backstory that is actually the motivating one. I was I was a head of an institution once and the most serious uh, scholar on the uh, board of trustees representing faculty, the most serious scholar, a terrific person, a person of real um, weight in the academic world, uh, gave up everything, absolutely everything, this person, to move to a far, far away city to to try to to, 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 to pursue a, a love affair which had come about because of on the internet and this person was willing to give up 
everything in, in midlife to try to find some form of romantic happiness and stability. And it was the most extraordinary thing. But I saw it quite young. I was given to see the power of this force behind you. I, you see it in plays and literature, but you don't talk about it enough. And uh, my point today is to emphasize it, but to emphasize it in light of that which is ultimate and that which is ultimately where it is tending, which in my opinion is the desire for union and connection with God. That is the that is the lasting um, substance or the lasting relationship um, in connection with which uh, even the finest and most powerful romantic urges, which are really archaeologically, you might say, almost divine. We'll talk about Pascal in a minute, but um, they fail because we're hooked up in bodies. And secondly, we often see the romantic relationship sort of like I saw the lights driving uh, when I, before I had my cataract surgery recently. What a drag. Um, and um, I, I, I didn't see things as they actually were when I was driving, and I had to stop driving. And uh, therefore, the um, uh, romantic love can often be like a kind of cataract. You see something extremely important, like a light in the middle of the darkness, but you don't see it as it actually is. We, we got a car recently, a new car, and we're very thrilled about it. But to my horror, I found out the other night that they had LED LED. Uh, headlights. Uh, now, I'm not going to change it. I accept it. I consent because I'm, you know, into centering prayer. I consent to it. But LED headlights are terrible because uh, they, yes, they prevent you from getting hit at night because everybody sees you, but they really are false. You can, you see lead headlights and I think I'm about to hit a truck. Um, in fact, it may be a little tiny car because they give a false picture of the light uh, in relationship to the darkness. And therefore, uh, romantic love can be like lead headlights, which fortunately are no longer required legally in this country. Now, I want to read, to underscore this point, what I regard as a absolutely amazing, and I would go so far as to say uh, really a brilliant quotation from David Zoll, a mockingbird. David is writing here, uh, uh, in a little piece he did recently about Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb, the uh, songwriter who wrote so many of the great songs back in the 60s and 70s and is still alive. And I got to meet recently, uh, thanks to Kenny Landrum. I'm just in awe and grateful to Kenny that I got to meet, albeit briefly, but really Jimmy Webb, who I regard as the sort of most uh, perceptive uh, songwriter on this subject ever. Um, and... Um, uh, Remember, he, he, you remember he wrote Galveston and By the Time I Get to Phoenix and Wichita Lineman and Up, Up and Away and All I Know and Didn't We? Uh, you know, we almost made it, didn't we? A million songs from Sinatra to The Fifth Dimension. But I want to read what David wrote about the significance of, um, of uh, Jimmy Webb. David said this, I could go on, but suffice it to say, in a year when absolutely everything became politicized, where non-engagement became a mortal sin among serious people, Jimmy Webb's stirring songs about heartbreak and hope served as a haven of deep feeling and a much-needed reminder that, contrary to the refrains of the day, both in the church and outside it, there exists a layer of experience underneath all the endless, quote, narrative, end of quote, a place where love and loss are the only things that matter. Let me repeat that. Underneath all the um, refrains of the day, there exists a layer of experience underneath the endless 
quote, narrative, end of quote, a place where loss and love are the only things that matter. Now, my experience of life is, in fact, entirely uh, confirming of uh, David's impression of what Jimmy Webb's songs connote. They connote the backstory of individual romantic uh, uh, desire, overwhelming desire for connection with another human being that are as important to a person as as a as a, a, a roof over their heads and food to the body. That is a driving force in uh, human affairs. A driving force. Ideology uh, can become a group think driving force that results often in the in the murder of people. As uh, that remarkable professor, what's his name? Um, Jordan uh, Peterson from Toronto has been saying of late, I must say he is a non-angry um, banner bearer of the uh, importance of the individual over against the um, the uh, narrative of group identity, my gosh, but he uh, would uh, certainly allow for the fact that individual fulfillment, and I would add the um, desire and the compulsion to merge with another human being, to have a fusion, is paramount. And it's paramount, uh, and it becomes most clearly expressed in romantic slash erotic love. Um, I'm not entirely with, uh, uh, with C.S. Lewis in his Four Loves, I agree with the book, The Four Loves. I think it's a wonderful book, but I'm not sure he quite waits. The, the erotic uh, is, um, he, he sort of puts it down, not quite giving to it the existential or, shall we say, on-the-ground realism, uh, realistic power that it, that it holds for people who, as I say, are capable from ages 15 to 85 of making uh, profoundly uh, constrained decisions based upon a desire to have something that seems to be so, so important that it is um, important enough for a person to to shatter and to throw down and to uh, give to the dogs uh, every other thing in their lives, including their children. I mean, I was at St. Albans, just, I was only in the well, B form, I mean, fifth grade, when uh, somebody uh, in the class, uh, his, his, his mother, or was it the other way around? I think the father left the mother just bang, left, left for another woman. And uh, everything was turned. They were very um, well-known family in the world that I lived in that time. And it was a shock to everyone. But there it was, a, 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 a young boy, as it were, orphaned and, and completely um, left without a father because the father's need for what he found in another woman, or it could be a man, but whatever, in another relationship, was so necessary or felt so necessary to the man that he was willing to to leave not only his wife who became in his eyes a bad object but his his son and uh the son is now a very successful and very giving, very fine human being, recovered, you might say. But what a uh, what a what a thing to 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 believe about yourself. And if you don't think I'm telling you the, the 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 truth here, just look around you. I'm sure it's not true in your family, God willing. But just look around you at the uh, remarkable and dramatic do or die decisions that people are willing to make. Now I want to go uh, therefore and just go a step further. Eight days a week means this is. Um, this is more important than 100% of you. Now, that being the case, um, and yet it usually um, it falls. U usually it doesn't work out. Usually there's a kicker. Usually um, it, uh, it was Mary and I saw it every week uh, in certain parishes where we did weddings every week. 
almost every week we saw it because of a um, the father or the mother of the bride or the groom would arrive with the second wife. And the great big thing was where at the wedding rehearsal and where at the wedding, I should say, is the new, the third party, the new husband or the new wife. And it was usually a new wife where the the, the bad, the woman who'd taken the, 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 the dad away from the mother, where was that person going to sit and how at the wedding and you know always the mother would get precedence the one who'd been left would be in the front and maybe behind would be the father or some way we there were a number of options in the seating but it was everything everything turned on that but then the irony was the other woman in quotes would arrive at the wedding reception and I would look at Mary or the next day I would say did you see da 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 and inevitably the 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 mother of the bride the first wife looked really good and by that time, if years had passed, the second wife, the sort of Miss Fourth of July, you know, firecracker, uh, was um, looked terrible, drab and uh, overweight and had let herself go and just looked awful. And we always wanted to say, how could he possibly leave wife number one for wife number two? Well, it must have been important to him. <laughs> to have done it. And look, it caught up with him, which is to say that these relations, these attempts to um, make uh, a God, uh, the other woman or the relationship with the other man, God, um, are subject to the human contingencies of a body and human contingency of time, time and tide. And as a result, you can't guarantee it because it's not actually what you were looking for. What you were looking for, as Pascal said, Blaise Pascal said in a celebrated passage in the Pensee, which I have in front of me, but it's, um, you know, people sometimes overinterpret or want to be a little bit too emblematic with what he wrote or too axiomatic with what he wrote. But what Pascal wrote was that there is an element in everyone that is seeking God. And this element, unfortunately, uh, finds an object that it takes for God or interprets to be God and makes into God, but it's not God. And then it becomes what Pascal calls and religion calls an idol and it falls to nothing because it's not the real thing. What you want is the real thing. And that's true. Everybody wants the real thing. Um, and uh, I would say that uh, when I talk about romantic love as being the fundamental um, uh, uh, um, um, currency of motivation in human life. I'm not saying that it's the absolute currency. The absolute currency of connection in life is the God who made us, who loves us, who loves us gracefully and with great mercy and understands us and is entirely and totally you might say waiting like the like the father in the parable of the prodigal son for us to to come to him as child to parent with a real relationship of utter enduring and uh undef indefectible uh conjunction and that is what religion is about and that is why um the element of god uh is left out of the romantic uh, issue um to your great um uh, to your great uh, uh, cost, as in Tannhäuser. I mean, he almost finds it, then he almost finds it again, then he doesn't quite find it, and it takes a woman to help him find it, to find God, but he only finds it at the cost of his own life. And that is why Tannhäuser is both very deep, very true, and very um, unsettling, and finally very hopeful. Well, that's all I wanted to say, um, is I wanted to root what I have to say about romantic love, which, whether it's in Dombey and Son, or it's in Victor Hugo, or it's in Jimmy Webb, or it's in Lennon McCartney, is at the very center of human aspiration of what it is to be a human being. But it is ultimately rooted, and Paula White is very good on this, our first call on our love. 
uh, is that which is immutable and that which is divine. And that's why this is so important, because it is ever so close to the truth about um, merger, which is the child of God in the family of God, uh, in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so very much. And we conclude with a quick little Beatles number from Hard Day's Night. Love you.